Hello and welcome to the 13th Hour Podcast. This is episode number 444 and I'm your host, Joshua Blum. For some of you who may celebrate it, Lunar New Year is upon us. It is the year of the dragon. And so I have a couple things kind of prepared to talk about in that vein. Sometimes also called Chinese New Year, though, you know, uh, celebrated in many places outside of China. In fact, many places in Asia use the lunar calendar. And so this year it fell, the turning over fell on February 10th. In many cultures in the in uh, in Asia, it's a period of probably about two weeks where there's some celebrations. Although it's it's generally kind of low key. If you go to a Chinatown in the U.S., there'll be celebrations and things like that during that time. When I was a kid, this is probably different now, but we were not far from New York City, and during that two week period, we we might have gone to the Manhattan Chinatown. If I recall correctly, the streets were they were almost like red because there were so many firecrackers that would go off that it would basically all the the wrappings and stuff like that when they burst, obviously you know it would get scattered to the side and then inevitably it would rain or whatever, and so like <laughs> the street would just be covered with this like layer of like reddish paper. That's that's one of the things that I, of course, remember from that. And uh, if you are in an area that does not have a Chinatown, if you're in, in a or a, an area of uh, the, the world or the country, in, in this case, the U.S., that does not have a big Chinese population, like I, I live in central Pennsylvania and there's not um, there's not a huge Chinese population, then uh, you often will end up doing things on your own. It, for most, I think, even if you're in a place like China or uh, Taiwan or whatever, at least, at least places I'm a little bit more familiar with, then it's it's still more of a family kind of based holiday, a little bit like Thanksgiving, I think. Uh, so, but but this year happens to be the year of the dragon. You know, there's there's all these zodiac signs. If you go if you go to your standard Western Chinese restaurant, the placemat may have in fact like a list of uh, animals that. Uh, that are that you can match your year up to, and so I was born in 1979, and that is the year of the goat, or sometimes called the sheep. In in Chinese, the the character Yang is is the same. I don't know; they don't differentiate really between goats and sheep there, uh, except for mountain goat. That's a little bit different. Shan Yang uh, in in Chinese, but otherwise <laughs> otherwise it's the same. So sometimes you'll see like it translated that way, and sometimes like the. Um, year of the cow was, uh, sometimes you'll see that translated as it'll be the ox. That was 2021, I believe. So sometimes there's these little variations, uh, depending on the animals and things like that, that you probably would have seen in, in, in China. But, uh, anyway, this is the year of the dragon, which is, uh, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a big year in some ways, uh, dragons, I thought we'd talk a little bit today about dragons because dragons are found in a variety, like the mythology of dragons are found in a variety of cultures. You can see them in places in in Europe, as well as the Middle East, as well as the East. And I think the idea of a this a, a big lizard of some sort uh, is, is pervasive in lots of different cultures. It's kind of cool that it is. The way it differs between the East and the West is is a little bit different. I thought we'd talk a little bit about that. Plus, I have a section from the 13th hour that talks about that. I have a little bit of a preview of an episode that has actually already been recorded, but it won't actually come out until probably in May. 
and it is from an author, Aleshka Chan, who wrote a memoir, but she also does a variety of other things, one of which is traditional Chinese painting. And so she shared some dragons uh, that uh, she did, which are amazing. So I wanted to include those and talk a little bit about those. If you look at, like if you're familiar, for example, with The Hobbit, you know, we're looking at sort of traditional fantasy sort of stuff, you know, Tolkien-based kind of worlds. A lot of that was coming from like, I I believe, traditions in sort of Western Europe, like, and if you kind of look back at some of the mythology of that area, like, you know, St. George and the dragon and stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a lot of it, you know, dragons are these sort of fierce dinosaur-esque kind of creatures that breathe fire and can fly. One of my favorite movies as a kid was called The Flight of Dragons, which to my knowledge is based on a couple of different things, but is not necessarily based on the, the 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 story that's in the movie is kind of unique and was written for the movie itself. Although I think it's based on a couple of different, maybe two different works, if I am not mistaken. Be a good one, I think, uh, for my brother and I to watch. We we do this sort of monthly fantasy movie uh, watching and talking about uh, movies mostly from the 80s or early to mid 90s. And that would be actually a good one to do. Um, it was done in sort of a anime-esque style, which was a little bit unusual for the time, which was probably maybe early to mid-80s. A lot of that stuff obviously was was there and it was being pumped out in Asia, but it hadn't quite made its way over to the States in a lot of cases. So I think this is sort of an example. It was one I watched many, many times and I, I remember liking it. But the idea, of course, um, was, you know, dragons are these, you know, bigger than life creatures. And in that particular cartoon, it's a cartoon, by the way, in that particular cartoon, it gets to the idea that there's multiple different kinds of dragons from different parts of the world, which I think was pretty cool. But the the more stereotypical kind of like Western ones are these sort of fierce fire breathing ones. If you look at fantasy along that line, you'll see a lot of stuff there. And so when I was writing the 13th hour, I kind of borrowed from that particular transition, that particular tradition, in creating the dragons for the uh, for the world of uh, my own fantasy stories. It differs a little bit from the view of a dragons in the East. So if you've studied martial arts at all, you, you'll, you'll see like dragon imagery all over the place. Like, especially, you know, if you do Eastern martial arts, that is, if you open up almost any martial arts catalog that, or, or magazine, you'll see like dragon imagery. An interesting thing that you'll sometimes see paired with the dragon is a tiger. Um, and so the dragon and the tiger are often paired together in the shirts and, and symbols and things like that because they, they supposedly represent two sides of the same whole, with the tiger being uh, more ferocious and kind of aggressive, and then the dragon being sort of more reserved and uh, kind of gentle and representing sort of wisdom. And so it's sort of like, kind of like yin and yang, uh, two, two dualities that make up the same thing. Obviously, they're both important. And if you have too much of one and not enough of the other, things go out of balance. So sometimes you'll actually see them interlaced in that sort of yin and yang kind of pattern. That's a pretty common, you know, Eastern martial arts motif. There is a, it's a multiple things. It's a comic book and it's a, a cartoon and it's also a movie called Crying Freeman. And the two main characters of the series, I don't know if it really gets into it so much in the movie, have that duality. So one is a man, and uh, 
they it's it, it's sort of convoluted, but the um, the the man he's given a a Chinese name, and his his wife, or the woman who becomes his wife, is given a Chinese name as well. I I don't know if they're originally Chinese in origin, but they ended up sort of being usurped and 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 taken into this Chinese assassin organization. And so they're given traditional Chinese names. I think the main character is originally a Japanese potter, but he becomes an assassin for this Chinese organization. I think it's like the, in the movie, it's called like the, the Sons, maybe it's the Sons of the Dragons or, and then the, in, the, in the actual uh, cartoon and in, in the original manga, he was like 108 dragons. But anyway, his, his, his name, the, the first part of his name is Dragon Long. And then his wife is Hu, which is the which is Tiger, and so there's that that duality that's found all over the place, but which gives you the idea that you know it's sort of almost the opposite of what Western dragons are kind of like, because you know as opposed to like these fierce like reptilian like worm-like creatures, like the, kind of like the way they're described in like Tolkien's books, where they're hoarding gold and like you know pillaging villages and stuff like that. They're kind of seen as like the these uh, beings that embody wisdom and restraint. It's almost like the opposite, whereas the tiger is kind of like would be the traditional Western dragon. So I just thought I would throw that out there. It's kind of interesting. So I, th I thought um, I, I would show actually uh, this little part from the 13th hour, and I thought I would do a little bit of reading from it because there's a little music track that goes with it too, which I was recently just trying to figure out how I had originally played because it's called Dragon's Eyes. And I thought I would read from this little section of the book. And there's two main characters in this particular novel. One is called Logan and the other is called Aurora. Logan is a young man, probably about 19 years old at this point. He has been tasked to go on this mission for his kingdom. He's in the military. It all goes sideways, and the crew he's with, the ship they're on, it all gets... He's basically alone. He's basically marooned, and he has to make this decision about what he's going to do. At this point, he's sort of like just trying to survive, right? He's really far from home. He doesn't know how he's going to get back, and he has to make this decision about what he's going to do. Should he try to finish it on his own, should he do it for the king? The king is kind of a, a, a schmuck. He, he doesn't really feel like he should do that, but he feels this kind of guilt and responsibility for his teammates who are not with him anymore. He, he kind of feels this responsibility there, but he also, on the other hand, you know, he grew up reading adventure stories and things like that. And now he's actually on an adventure and he has a chance to kind of live the stuff that he's lived, he's only read about, and there's no one to tell him otherwise. So what should he do? He's just grappling with this, and he he ends up in a spot where he, he sees a vision, essentially, and he he gets an inkling that his childhood friend, Aurora, who has traveled from the childhood home and tried to make a place for herself in the world, is in trouble. And he never really thought, well, he's not really sure he would ever see her again. And so he decides to make a detour to go find her if he can. But that too goes sideways and he ends up basically in this deserted town that he thinks she is in, but the town has basically just got, has been, well, pillaged, I guess would be a good word. It's, it's burning, it's deserted, there doesn't seem to be anybody there. But he does end up finding her and she's not in great shape for a lot of different reasons. But however, they have a reunion. Once they're basically together, this is where this section starts. And she says, do you know, Logan, that since you've left, 
meaning he when he left for the military. They, they grew up together in an orphanage. I haven't sang or hummed any of the songs I used to like. I just thought of one now. Do you remember when I said Aurora could sing? The story is told from the first person, Logan's perspective in, in this particular part. I suppose anyone who can talk can sing, but not everyone likes to. Aurora did. She had a quiet, mid-range, soothing voice that she liked to use when she was at her work in the garden at the orphanage or to quiet some of the younger kids there. I was never sure where she learned her songs. I think she made most of them up and was never sure how she remembered all the lyrics. She did write some down. I think I remember her saying that was her main motivation for learning how to read, but really it seemed like she had them all in her head. I learned the melodies just by being around her and hearing her hum them, but kept getting the lyrics mixed up. Which one, Aurora? She coughed and said, do you remember Dragon's Eyes? I did. It was, at one time, a ballad, a ballad often sung to young children to lull them to sleep. Then people forgot about it for a long time until a rather dodgy traveling bard used the melody in a love song that became very popular. His version was the standard tripe about star-crossed lovers who meet, fall in love, fall out of love, make up, break up, and etc. So, of course, people loved it. And that's how they rediscovered the more somber original version. It told of a magic place hidden from view where everything, anything you wished for could come true. The second verse mentioned a land of gold, and even though that was only one of the possible things you could wish for, it was the one people remembered. But to get there, you needed dragon's eyes. And once you had them, east would become west, west would become east, and there would be. Uh, to be honest, I never really understood that verse. But anyway, the men never found it, the song said, because they killed off almost all the dragons trying to get their eyes. But it was a pair of living eyes you needed. The last verse, the one the bard used as the basis for a song about human lovers, was actually about two young dragons, a male and his female mate, who'd been wounded and spotted by their human hunters. The dragons managed to crawl into a cave, which the men surrounded. And after waiting for a long time, the dragons knew they had to either fight their way out or die in the cave from hunger and blood loss. But they had enough of the fighting and felt too weak to have much of a chance. And finally, they decided that instead of simply giving up and dying where they lay, they could go to the mouth of the cave, but not attack the men. Then the dragon gods would know they were not afraid, and perhaps their deaths would be quick. And that's where the song ended. It didn't say what happened to the two dragons, but I remember hoping that the hunters would be touched by their courage, and let them go. They must have, I reasoned, because if they hadn't killed them, the last of their kind, there wouldn't have been any more dragons today, and of course there were. All in all, a rather strange subject for a lullaby, but it had always been Aurora's favorite song. Uh, I remember how it goes, Aurora. Could you sing it to me? It's been so long, I can't seem to remember how it starts now, she said, bo looking both sad and puzzled. My heart sank a little further as I realized the toll the past year must have taken on Aurora if she no longer remembered her favorite song. Remember the girl I knew from yesterday was gone, and a different woman had taken her place. Whoever she had become, that's the way it was. I thought of all the tables had turned. Aurora had always sung to me, and now I would sing to her. And uh, just be glad you weren't there. Um, yeah, sure, Aurora. And I cleared my throat. A long, long time ago From legends dead There comes a tale From which it's said There is a place It's hard to see 
East of here and west of there, where all the eye can see is made of gold, and so it goes. The story rolls, twisted round by man in ambitions cold. I bumbled on the best I could though I didn't remember all the words. But Aurora filled in for me, except for once near the end when I looked down and found Aurora asleep. I leaned my head on the wall and kept my arm around her as I sang the remaining verses softly to myself, just so I could refresh my memory. One day, under better circumstances, we would sing it again together. Long after I had finished, I heard the melody, which was usually played on a mandolin, if an accompaniment was being used. The chords resonated through the night, and something about them seemed to grow in timber and circle us, in a protective sphere. The night sky was cloudless now with a million glittering stars. My head nodded slowly to the side and I watched the sky disappear from my vision. I had fallen into that shadowy phase between consciousness and true somnolence when I thought I heard Aurora murmur something in her sleep. Mm, Logan, you came back. You didn't forget. You didn't. And that's the end of that section and the end of the chapter. It's of course it continued in uh, the rest of the 13th hour. That was from chapter 16. That little section that I had in the accompanying music that I had done, <laughs> interestingly enough, that was probably one of the very first things that I did when I was creating this story. Because as I mentioned before, when just about the way I think my mind works, I never, I don't really think in narrative terms, maybe this is unfortunate for a writer, but I often think in images and, and music and, um, and, and moving pictures. And so I envisioned that piece of music probably way back, you know, earlier in high school, I remember sitting down at, a, at the piano and kind of plunking out the notes. And it was one of the few things that I could play just by, by ear. And, uh, you know, when I, when I was in college, there were pianos all over the place. Not all of them were in tune, but I would often sit down and play. That's If I didn't have music or whatever that I, I had, I would often play that, uh, that particular tune, which it didn't have a name yet. It didn't have lyrics. But uh, that was that was the part, and I I slowly added that section of Dragon's Eyes into subsequent drafts of the Thirteenth Hour. I had a originally when the very first draft that I wrote when I was like eighteen or nineteen, I I didn't the the music was not named. It was described, but it was not. Uh, uh, oh well, actually no, I think it had a name. I think it did mention Dragon's. I think. But I don't think I necessarily associated that with that piece of music that I I was um, using or playing. You know, I don't I don't remember. That's the put. I don't remember. At some point, it it finally joined and gelled all together, uh, and that took a, a number of years. And I was um, it's been a while since I've played it, and I was just trying to remember how I how it how it went. Um, but it's in the key of A, and. Uh, it has a sort of a sort of a, sort of a somber feel uh, to it, but it's sort of a series of ascending and descending chords, and the the lyrics basically wrote themselves. Sometimes they the lyrics are a real struggle, but this one was basically I thought of it would be like kind of a folk song, and so I didn't have the lyrics until I could play it uh, on the guitar. It's really just a couple of chords, like two or three chords, maybe three, I think, uh, chords I think on the guitar, and then once I had that. Uh, structure, I the lyrics just kind of flowed out very easily, which is definitely unusual. Um, and then I kind of went back and reworked it for the piano. 
that's uh, that's the little story of that of, of Dragon's Eyes, and uh, and kind of how it relates to the story. In in this particular case, the dragons are kind of more fierce, but I kind of uh, envisioned them as kind of a their own separate species that are sort of misunderstood. In fact, the the lyrics of the song, um, you can find them in the, through the links in the show notes, kind of are a, um, I guess a you know uh, a comment on how we as humans have a tendency to kind of take over and sort of manhandle our natural world, and so other species kind of get pushed out as a result, and um, occasionally they fight back. But uh, I think um, they often lose, which is the sad thing. So that, it was sort of a, com- a sort of a sad commentary, I guess, on that and uh, the, the things we do to our, our world. So I think the, uh, if, if you look throughout fantasy, it's often is that um, as opposed to, I think, I don't know if this may be a stereotype, but, you know, I, in, in the East, the idea that you know, the, as people, you know, we're very small in reference to the, the wider world. And so obviously people try to do all kinds of things to divert and, and change the world, but ultimately nature wins most of the time. And it wins, you know, in, 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 West, in the West too, but I think we like to think that we're above that. But I think ultimately it's the same, but I think the idea of living in harmony with nature is more, maybe more of an Eastern thing. And just, just to what I mentioned before about the balance, you know, the, the lion and the tiger, finding balance in the world is, is kind of a very Eastern thing. And so I thought as a transition, we would talk a little bit about an author that I had the pleasure of talking to just a couple of weeks ago. Aleska Chan is her name, and she wrote a book called In the Garden Behind the Moon. It's a wonderful memoir, and it's about her father, who was a Renaissance man, uh, the process of losing him as an adult and, uh, you know, how that affected her life and the process of kind of going back and reconstructing a lot of what she could about their story, ultimately learning about herself and uh, growing as a person. So it's a great story. It's something, unfortunately, everybody has to uh, deal with, which is loss in their life of some kind. I think her story is also unique in in that um, uh, I very, very rarely get a chance to talk with uh, other people who are of mixed Asian uh, descent. And so that's always cool. But it's also really interesting to see how that blend happened within her 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 family and uh, how they dealt with it. Especially, they were they were living in a part of the country where um, that was pretty unusual in the U- American South. You know, it just kind of shows that you you can you can make that those kind of unions happen. You know, wherever probably you are, if if you are willing to to, to face the challenges and uh, uh, probably not necessarily care what other people think too much, but. Aleshka is, is, is uh, you know, takes after her father and she is a Renaissance woman. She does a whole bunch of things in addition to being an author. You know, she's a traditional Chinese painter and an archaeologist, and a photographer, a martial artist, a mother, and a wife, all these different things together. And we got a chance also, besides the writing, to talk about her painting. And it's really cool. Uh, and I thought I would include some of the images. There'll be more coming in May when the book actually comes out in press and in, uh, in, is being published. But I thought I'd give a little bit of advanced press for it because the paintings are so cool. And she does a number of great dragon images. And I thought I'd include that in uh, the show notes so you can see those there and elsewhere on social media. So check her out. Uh, check out the links in the, in, the, in the show notes so you can find her on social media. And if you like her paintings, 
Um, there's a couple of things uh, that you can do. You can, of course, you can actually buy them. She sells them, and I'll include a link to her store where she has them. You can actually get, she has one that basically goes along with the book, and I, I, don't, I have to double check and see if this is still accurate, but if you basically pre-order the book, uh, you'll get a sort of high-res version of one of her paintings, which is really cool. And I asked her, so this is the Year of the Dragon, uh, which is... Uh, well, obviously, you know, each, each animal only comes around 12 years, but the dragon is kind of a special one. And I just asked her, like, you know, is there anything, like, anything you want to say about that? Anything, any, any particular thoughts about the year of the dragon? And so, now, I think it's for context. And I think, I think here, and here's the thing, is like, regardless of wherever you're descended from, if you grow up in a different place, you're not going to have the same necessarily values, ideas, language, customs, etc., as if you had grown up in sort of the the motherland right so i think like for people who are second or third generation or are dealing with a, a sort of blended racial family it's just a really unique mix um, my brother and i have certainly talked about that here and there on this podcast and so like what she says is that you know this is this is something that she came to later in life that, that like the chinese paintings and these aspects of her heritage as a uh, she was looking for ways to connect with, you know, her roots. So this is what she said. In researching the dragon for this year, I was intrigued to find that the young wood dragon, which is, of course, this year, it, there's uh, four, four, uh, is there five, I believe. So earth, water, fire, wind, and metal. So she was, she was intrigued to find that the young wood dragon 2024 is a rare and wonderful combination. The dragon's power, compassion, and generosity is there, but also the wood's nurturing growth and creativity, which makes the wood dragon the most creative and visionary of all dragons. So that's pretty cool. And she said, like, for people that happen to be listening, go for it. Whatever it is that's been calling to you, the wood dragon is potent. And so you have the power of the wood dragon on your side to be creative and get the most out of this particular year. So there you go. A lot of the suspicions that uh, the Chinese have uh, in my case, the Taiwanese have about stuff. I don't really, I didn't grow up with them, so I, it doesn't it doesn't really resonate necessarily. But uh, I would say use them if they're helpful for you. If you're and uh, don't worry about them if they're not. So I, I think this is a good positive one uh, to think about because this is a primarily show about the creative process and other aspects of that. And so I think many times people are can be can be their own worst enemy when it comes to their own creativity they think that something is good they don't necessarily think that other people will enjoy it but chances are they probably will but even if they don't even if they don't but it is pleasurable and it's enjoyable to you and it helps you in your own life i would say go for it so i mean i think ultimately there are very few people that are ultimately able to make a living doing their own thing their creative passion project or whatever but i think those of us who do some of it Yes, it contributes maybe a little bit to your livelihood, but on the other hand, I think the benefits are much more. The net positive is much more on intangible other things, connection, fulfillment, keeping you centered, etc. So uh, check out Aleska's stuff. You'll be hearing more about her uh, in a couple of months. But in the meantime, I wish you the best for this Lunar New Year and wish you the best in your own creative pursuits. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys in the future. Hey, a couple last-minute things before you go. Thanks for listening to this show. If you liked it, you can find many more on the website, 13thhr.wordpress.com, 
or on your favorite podcasting platform. You can often find behind the scenes information about this show and other things that I do on social media, such as Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You'll see links to those in the show notes. Sometimes people will ask me, how can I help contribute to the show or other things that, that I do? And probably one of the easiest ways is by going over to Facebook and looking up the Facebook group called 13th Hour Arts. And it's a place for not only to discuss these kinds of things, but also for you to share your own creative process and the things that you're doing that bring meaning to your life. You can also do things that are entirely free, such as leaving a review for a book, music, this particular podcast, share it with friends, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, email me, W-R-I-T-E-J-O-S-H-U-A-B-L-U-M at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your suggestions and comments. You can also leave a one-time donation over at Coffee, and that's K-O-F-I slash 13THHR. It's basically like a virtual tip jar, kind of like the sort of thing like a piano player might have at a bar or something like that. For a small amount, you can also leave a donation on a monthly basis at Patreon, and that helps bring new things to this particular show and to support future projects. And that's at 13th Hour Arts. It's also a place for patrons to share their own creative process and the things that bring inspiration and meaning to them. I hope by sharing a little bit of the creative process in this particular show, it gets people to cultivate that aspect of their own life and to remember that those things are important even if you are an adult and you may not have time for it. Hopefully by paying attention to those aspects of your own life, you can remember your own dreams and aspirations and help create a world and make a world that you want to be in. And at the end of the day, that's sort of what the 13th hour is about. So thanks as always for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next week.